0: Do you have that, that vision? Do you have that desire to follow God in that way, that he would be your everything, that he would be your delight, that he, that he would be your vision in life? Or is Christianity tacked on as something that you're doing occasionally or that you're a part of? Is Christianity something that you, just, you were brought up in? And you've been schooled in it and you've been a part of it for so long that you just don't know any other way. But for God to be your, your vision and your delight and your passion in life, is just, it may not be there. It may not be there. And maybe you're somebody who's sitting on the outside and you're kind of looking in. You're peering into what's happening inside of this church and you're saying, what is this all about? Because it's confusing today. It's confusing. There are so many competing voices to, uh, to what Christianity really is. What is it like? What's it supposed to be about? And I submit to you that Christianity, following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the only way to God, Jesus, God in the flesh, who empowers us through the Holy Spirit, that there is something about this that is deeply passionate, that is deeply exciting, that could become the central focus of your life and change everything that's going on for you. Or you can be a bench warmer and you can ride the pew for a long time and you can be somebody who is just attending and never really serving, attending and never really giving, attending and never really completely engulfed in what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? What does it mean for us? Years ago, when I believe God gave us a vision for this church, I believe that he gave me a passion for this generation, which is all ages. It's everyone who's alive today. But I really believed that this church should be a church of all ages and it should be of this generation it should represent uh who (laughs) everyone who is around and of course we've attracted many young people but we believe that this church that this that this gathering of people is here for a reason it's not here for entertainment it's not here just to meet your needs although the church should be meeting needs It's not here just to kind of placate and allow people to feel good about themselves. And so we teach hard messages sometimes. It's not just here for that, but it is here for a purpose. To do something amazing, to do something passionate, to do something that engulfs and and embraces all of life for each and every one of us. And so what we want to talk about this morning is, are you embracing the vision that God has for you in the context of his church. And for those of you that are on the outside. Perhaps you, you don't believe. Or you're not sure that you believe. Or what have you. This, this is a chance for you to see a window. To have a window into what should this look like. What should, what should we be a part of. What should this look like in our lives. And so I want to reaffirm where we've been over the last few years. In fact for, throughout the entirety of the life of this church. This passage has spoken to me in a way that has just been, like, it excites me. It absolutely excites me because I think about it and I think about, if God, if you did that here, if you did that now, if we were obedient to the vision that you have for us, what wouldn't take place? What couldn't be done? What couldn't be done in the midst of our city? What couldn't be done as a part of... uh, what God is doing here and now Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 11 and we'll go through verse 16 there but Ephesians chapter 4 this is the passage that that I stumbled upon one day and really what evoked out of me was this outward response it was a response and really the the, the name of our church although it's not found in the passage in any way. The name of the church was really evoked from, uh, from this passage because what I saw in here is something that says that God's plan, God's vision for us is more than attending services, is more than uh, consumeristic mentalities. It is more than uh, what oftentimes the church is today in America. And so it says this, and he gave, and who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So what did he do? He gave these people to the church. He gave these giftings to the church, and he gave them to the church for a reason. And the reason is this, the people who are in leadership at a church They should be humble, they should be be great leaders who love people, they're shepherds of God's people, but they should be here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the responsibility of the local church is not just to be people who are saying, okay, how can I make you happy the most? How can we have the best possible children's program for you, even though we want to do that, but that is not our only purpose? How can we make sure that you feel good when you go to a community group, or how can we make sure that you feel this way or that way or the other thing? And it just kind of makes me sick because I'm not that kind of guy. I don't know if you know me at all. If you do know me, I am not a salesman. I, I, I tell it like it is oftentimes. I can't lead a church like that. And guess what? I don't think God is calling me to lead a church that way. In fact, he's not calling me to lead a church by myself at all. He's called me to be a part of the elders who lead this church. And so these elders, these people, these pastors, these shepherds are here to equip the saints for what? To equip God's people who are called saints. It is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. He goes on to say, "...for building up the body of Christ." Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's it describing here? It's describing what maturity as a Christian looks like. The mature believer is somebody who has been trained, they've been equipped, they've, they have been faithful, available, teachable to uh, the, the leaders of the local, local church. They've been humble in the midst of that which is the teachable aspect of that. They've been a part of building up the body of Christ. And they are living in unity with the church. And they're they're growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. They're growing in their knowledge of Jesus. And it's coming to this point where there's this adulthood to mature manhood. Like there's this maturity that is taking place in their life And it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, like what happens in their life is that as they were growing, as they are being taught, as they are listening, hearing all of these things, what takes place is there is this fullness that takes place in their life in Christ in such a way that it's just like, man, you are full of Jesus. You, like Jesus, is going in and through your life. He is impacting who you are. And so it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let me stop right there for a second. When you're somebody who's not connected with the local church, when you're somebody who says, you know, I'm going to attend when I feel like it or when, when it feels good for me or when I'm in the middle of a New Year's resolution. Some of you are here right now. God bless you for doing that. I'm glad you get to hear this sermon right now. But when you're somebody who says, like, I'm going to be a part of it when it feels okay or when I, when I just have time for it. What you don't get is you don't get to be spoken into, to be taught so that you are no longer a child, Those aren't my words. Those are the Apostle Paul's words to us. Those are God's words to us to say that there is this childhood that persists in Christianity. And what does it come from? It comes from people who say, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I I got my thing, and I'm, and I'm I'm doing my own thing. I can go on my own way. I can teach myself. I'll listen to some podcasts or whatever, but you are not known. You are not known. And you don't know anybody else. You're not, you're not known by anybody, and so nobody can speak into your life. Perhaps you say, well, I've got, I've got Christian friends. But I highly doubt that you have Christian friends that are being the church to you. Some of you do. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. But many of us do not have Christian friends that operate like the church, who are teaching us on a regular basis, where we're able to plug in and partake of the sacraments and things of that nature. And so what happens is this, is that immaturity upon immaturity keeps happening, and then pretty soon you find yourself in American uh, Christianity or American evangelicalism, and you just, you're just going with the wind. And whatever teaching sounds good to you at that moment could be uh, coming into your life. And so what is the purpose of the church here? It is for God's people to be equipped and trained for the work of ministry so that they're not thrown off and in, in the middle of that, believing aberrant things throughout their life, which, by the way, is a massive, massive problem in the American church today. We're not the only church. We don't have everything exactly right. Let's just, let's just be clear about that. I'm going to have to get up and apologize at some point. I already have. So I'm, I, I'm not perfect so if, if we're to, to sit here and arrogantly and pridefully claim, well, we've got the truth and no one else does, is, is just ridiculous. But here's the thing. We are learning in this together as a body of Christ. We are learning uh, th- the scriptures. We are allowing that to change us. We're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us as we're going on in life, and it keeps us from error. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love. And that's, that's my verse right there. Speak the truth in love. I, a lot of times I forgot about the love part, and I would just speak the truth. And I learned very quickly in my marriage that that is not a good thing, right? Right? You better speak the truth in love. And in fact, you know what? Forget the truth. Just do it in love, all right? Uh, that, that's, that's, I, I love my wife. Okay, there we go. All right, I, I, I got to be careful. I got to be careful, okay. Uh, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so at it builds itself up in love. Now, what does that mean? It means you're necessary. It means you have a gift. You have a role. You have a responsibility to be a part of this. It means that it doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a mom and you say, what can I, what can I do? Well, you, you have a gift. I guarantee you that you are a part of this thing. You're a part of what God is doing here. And when you're not engaged, then what happens is we lose out and you lose out of what God really has for us. We lose out on the vision that God has for us as his people. And so what takes place is that this cycle just continually perpetuates. It just continually goes and continually goes. I'm so thankful for our church because I, I, I do not see this very often. I don't. I don't see this consumeristic mentality. I see people who want to be here. I see people who are serving faithfully. I see people who are just uh, amazing givers. I see people who are um, um, growing in their faith. I had some incredible meetings this week that just absolutely encouraged me to see what God is doing in people's lives here at Outward Church, really almost independent of me. And I'm so thankful for that. I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you to be a part of that. This last week, uh, Pastor Tim, one of the elders here, spoke. And what he talked about was this. Is he, he was really communicating that in order to grow, in order to actually get things done in your life, and in, in order to do that, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan in place. And you need to walk through your life, and you, you need to look at that. And why is he doing that? Why did did Tim lead us in that? Because many of us are coming. It's the beginning of a year. It's it's the beginning of a season. Of course, we have the thing about resolutions that never really happen. But Tim was basically trying to help us understand, like, if if you want to get from point A to point B, you need to have a plan in doing that. And today, here's what I would have to say to you. And that is that in order for you to fulfill the vision that God has for you, In order for you to be able to walk in that, there must be margin in your life. There must be space in your life. There must be an area in your life where you have perhaps free time, where you have extra funds, where you have uh, uh, extra time, um, whatever, brain power, whatever it is. There's got to be margin. There's got to be space. But our problem is so frequently that we are always busy. I was speaking to a couple of uh, people from, from another country, from Australia, at a wedding we had here uh, last weekend. And I asked them, okay, what's your impression of the United States? And and we talked about politics, and that was really funny for a minute. But, um, and then for some of us, it's not very funny, but... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, they, they, you know, Americans are so kind of short and they, they, they speak very quickly. It's, it's not really relaxed, it's, it's, it's tense, it's, it's, it's quick interactions and things like that. They noticed that on several occasions. And I, I think they told me that they had never been here before. And I thought that, that is so interesting. And I think that's so clearly who we are in some ways. Our culture has grown to the point where we're running and running and running and running. And we have not left space, we have not left margin. And so in order for you to do anything else, in order for you to be able to do anything with this sermon today, in order for something to change in your life, like it it would take an absolute miracle because you have no space to make changes in your life. There's no space to do that because you're always running, you're always going after something, you're always uh, striving for for something more. Many of us are doing that. And some of us who per, perhaps aren't quite motivated that way, which is okay. It's okay to be relaxed. We also fill our time with other things. We can fill our time with, with, with silly media, video games, social media, watching shows. We can fill our time with just kind of hanging out with silly hobbies sometimes. Although hobbies are a good thing, sometimes they turn into a God thing for us. So we have no margin. And without margin, you can't have vision. Without margin in your life, you cannot cannot have vision in your life because margin is what brings about the, the time and the space needed to think through what is it that God has for me? What is it that God wants for my life? What is it that God is calling me to today? And so what we need is we need to get some wisdom. I would say go back and listen to, to Tim's sermon this last week. Listen to that. I mean, walk through some of those processes. Look for some, some, some wisdom and how to allow your life to be less crazy, to create some space in your life. And then once you've done that, what needs to happen is that vision needs to take place, and what is vision? Vision is the creative energy that sees what is versus what could be. I'm stealing a little bit from Andy Stanley there, but vision is the creative energy that sees what is what's currently going on in my life versus what could be. And when we come back every Sunday and we're teaching the Word and we're talking, what that is pointing to is it's pointing to a better vision for your life. It's coming back to the huddle and saying, here's, what, here's the game plan. It's always been the same game plan, and that is to get the ball down the field and score, right? It's, it is the game plan. It is, it is a continual vision that is that is continually going on, saying this is what could be what will be, but too often we don't have the margin in our life to see even what is. We don't, we don't see what is going on, the state of our life, the confusion of our life, the craziness of our life, because that's just life. It's just where I'm at. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a sucker to my life. Like, I, I just have to do everything that's happening to me. And some of you are in that place, but that's, that's why we need to create some margin in order for you to be able to see what is and then to catch the vision for what could be in your life, how you could become a minister of the gospel who's being equipped for the work of ministry so that the saints will be built up and so that all of these incredible, incredible things will be happening. So there's, there's this vision. Now, what does this vision need to include? This vision needs to include some level of, in fact, a high level of obedience. Obedience. It's obedience to the Word of God. It's obedience to what God is calling you to. I remember sitting down with a friend of mine who had basically just stopped going to church. He stopped going to church. He, was, he wasn't there at all. Him and I had been in ministry together for a few years. And I sat down and had coffee with him. And I said, man, what, why is it that you feel like, like it is okay to be like disobedient to God and not being a part of his church? He didn't hear anything else I said. All he heard was, you called me disobedient? You called me disobedient? You called me disobedient? And he was deeply offended. And perhaps I should have said it differently. But here's the truth, is that many of us do not walk in obedience to God. We walk in disobedience to God on a regular basis. We walk in disobedience. And in fact, when you look at what Jesus said to his uh, disciples in the Great Commission, the part that we miss the most is, is, is the latter part. It, you might remember this. It's Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, which says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. That word observe could say obey. In fact, if you have the NIV, I think it does say obey. Uh, Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What we don't hear is we don't hear the obedience part. What we do hear is that there's the great commission. We should be going out making disciples. But what we don't hear is that the measure of a disciple is somebody who is obedient. It's somebody who obeys. And so how do we know when we are a disciple? It is It is. When the general consensus of my life, not every moment, not every single thing, we will not be perfected in this life until we see Jesus. But the general consensus, the direction, it's called progressive sanctification. We're progressively becoming a part of of who Jesus is and modeling who he is. It's the trajectory of my life. I am moving towards Jesus. I'm moving away from sin. If you cannot look at your life and say, like, okay, I have been walking towards Jesus. There's obedience in my life. There's tough things that have been eliminated. There's tough things that have been started. Like, what are we talking about? Well, a lot of times as as believers, we talk about, uh, the sins of commission. Commission being this. I'm participating with, I'm doing something. I'm flipping people off. I'm, uh, you know, whatever it is. I stabbed somebody the other day. I, you know, th- weird things like that. Like, okay, I, I didn't stab anybody this week, and so I, and I stopped swearing, and I, whatever. You know, I didn't go to Starbucks or something dumb like that, right? Uh, so we, we try to stop the sins of commission, but we, we, what we never get what we never hear is we don't hear... Sorry, babe, you are a Starbucks person. I'm so sorry. you forgive me? All right, no, she doesn't. Any counselors here? Any, any? I see that hand. All right. Um, uh, what was I even saying? Dang it, babe. Um, okay, obedience. Sins of omission, sins of co Okay, we know that we shouldn't be participating with sin, even though we still do that. But what we really don't get oftentimes are the sins of omission. An omission is something that I left out. It's something that I failed to do. I'm all about all of these other things. I know that I shouldn't be doing these sins of commission, but what I'm not getting is that I really should not be leaving things out of life. Like taking on the nature of Jesus Christ. Embedding him into my life in such a way that's like, I want to model who Jesus is. I want to walk in his ways. I want to want to walk in his generosity. I want to forgive people even though I don't feel like it, babe. Um, I'm going to be in trouble for that, but it's not taking on the life of Jesus. It's not walking in his ways. It's not engaging in those things. That's where sin resides as well. Are you growing in obedience? Are you continually growing in obedience? In a way that says, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Because this is what it means. See, Jesus went to the cross to enable us to be a part of his kingdom. We don't establish the kingdom. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. He started it. And guess what? He's going to finish it. And Oprah had a really great speech the other day. It sounded like she wants to bring in the kingdom of God. Guess what? She's not going to do it. I hate to break it to you. All sexual offenders will not be eliminated under the reign of Oprah, right? Nor will they be eliminated under the reign of Trump. That's not going to happen. The kingdom of God is something to be lived in right here and right now. See, so we're to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. In order to do the work of ministry, we've got to have people that have margin in their life to enable them to have a vision for what God has called them to be a part of, which is his kingdom. He's the one who has set forth what we are to be about. He is the one who has inaugurated his kingdom. And so what my role and my responsibility is, is to be obedient to that king and to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God rather than living as a citizen of the kingdom of man. When I live my everyday life as though I don't live under the rule and the reign of this world and of man today, and of of what man believes is right and wrong according to their truth, as Oprah said. But when man says, there is no truth except what is found in God, and so I live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I push aside the kingdom of man in my life. So let's compare, to, compare the two. The kingdom of man is all about me and my desires, and my self-fulfillment, and all, all of that stuff. It's all about me making myself happy. It's living according to my selfish desires. Our culture wouldn't say that, but you know what? It slips out sometimes. It slips out sometimes. I was watching uh, that show just last night. Um, I was binge watching a show on uh, Netflix uh, called "Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee" with Jerry Seinfeld and and uh, I can't remember his name, but the actor who played Kramer and. Uh, I was just going to call him Kramer. I can't call him anything else. But he was saying over coffee to Jerry, he said, you know, I had this incident seven years ago, and you may have heard about it. It was in the news. But he was doing a set as a comedian, and somebody yelled at him, and he got angry. And he said, I forgot one thing, and that is that I just got selfish with my craft. I became selfish, and my selfishness caused me to say, this is not for you. This is for me to feel good about myself. And the minute that I thought about that, I exploded On that person and it caused a big problem in his life see it slips out sometimes because what he just identified is this is the kingdom of man the kingdom of man says do whatever you want the kingdom of man says you know what this whole christianity thing is 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 a bunch of garbage you should be able to act in any way that you want in any way that you feel good but you know what our culture sees that this is not good for us it is not good for uh, people. It's not good for women. It's not good for equality. It's not good for anybody. Our culture sees this, but our culture is constantly saying, You're, you are going to be left in the dust of history. You are not current. You are, you, you are old-fashioned and whatever else. But you know what What we say is that the kingdom of God is the thing that will ultimately and does rule and reign in my life right here and right now. And so what do we do as a result? We live in obedience. We live in obedience. And so how are we living in obedience? We're living in obedience to the reality that says that it's not just the things that I don't do that's important but it's the things that I do. How am I going in the other direction and participating with God in his kingdom as a citizen of his kingdom? See, that's the thing that we don't get is we don't understand, we don't see, we don't grasp what this obedience is for. What it's about, last week, uh, Tim was talking um, out of First Peter chapter two, and it and it's really just kind of been echoing in my mind. And if you were to look at First Peter chapter two verse ten, it says, "Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." I mean, there's tons of. Other things in this passage that I would just love to preach on for quite a while this morning. But what that is saying right there, just very succinctly, is that you were a man, you are a woman, you are a person without a country. The kingdom of God, I'm sorry, the kingdom of man promises you all kinds of identification and friendships and things like that. But what you don't understand is that you and I are a man or a woman without a country when we are without God. When we're when we're without God, when we're not there. And, and and what Peter is telling us here in verse 10, there is he's saying, once you were not a people, once you you had no identification, you weren't connected with anybody. Once you were not connected with God, and once you had not received mercy, and the reason why he's saying that is he's saying, the person that gets it, the person who is one of those saints who are being equipped for the work of ministry, that person sees this thing. They've embraced the one and only true gospel, which is this. Once I, I was without a country. Once I was without a, a, a group of, of people. Once I was, I was without those things, but then God came in with his mercy, and he lavished it on me. How does, it, how does God lavish his mercy on us? Well, it's only through his gospel. It's only through the life of Jesus Christ, how he lives perfectly, goes to the cross, dies in our place, and then is resurrected from the dead. And what he says is true. He says, I lived perfectly in order to make up for all of your faults. And I went to the cross, and I was crucified, and I was resurrected for your salvation. And so the person who gets it, the person who's a saint, the person who loves God, the person who's delighting in God and sees his vision or her, his vision for their life, Is the person who understands this, this mercy. They get it. It's meaningful. It's passionate. And then verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is where I wanted to get today. Because Ephesians 4 says we're to be equipped for the work of ministry. And that, that, that there is this maturity that's supposed to come out of that. And Matthew 28 says that, that what it looks like to be a disciple and somebody who's a part of that church is somebody who's walking in obedience. It's somebody who's walking in the, the obedience of faith. They're walking towards God and away from sin. They're progressively moving in that direction. But then what this is saying right here is this, is that when you are somebody who has gotten it, you see the fact that you had nothing and now you have everything in Christ. You see the fact that you didn't have mercy, but now you do have mercy. You're reveling. It's resonating in your heart. And you're, you're able to exclaim together with God's people, Oh God, be my everything. Be my delight. Be Jesus, my glory. My soul is satisfied. You're able to proclaim that Together with all of God's people, all the way through your life. And it's resonating in such a way that it's coming out in our community. And people are seeing the heartbeat, not just of you, but of all the saints who have been equipped and trained for the work of ministry, of all the saints of all the churches in Salem who are resonating with a heartbeat that says I want God to be my everything. I want to have his vision for my life because here's what's going on with me. I've set aside things of the past, this childish immaturity of filling up all of my moments with entertainment, of the idolatry of the work that I have, or money, sex, or power, whatever it is. I've set those things aside because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And now I have Jesus' heartbeat. I have Jesus' vision for my life. And what that means is this, is that, look at what it says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Don't just, don't just... Not do bad things, but I want it to be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and let's just ask a question real quick. Like, are Christians being spoken against today as evildoers? The answer is a resounding yes. And guess what? Some of them deserve it. And if we're real honest with ourselves, all of us deserve it on some level or another. But what defines you and me as a believer is having come to to Christ with nothing to bring Him. I'm not bringing Him good works. I'm not bringing you know I'm a pretty I'm a pretty moral person. I'm not bringing Him church attendance. I'm not bringing what any of this other garbage. What I'm bringing is I'm saying is. Is is I'm bringing my lostness, I'm bringing my brokenness, I'm bringing everything that I don't have. I have no righteousness to bring you, God, but yet you, you give me your mercy. We bring that to Him, and so we can readily exclaim with everybody, and that is that I also am an evildoer, but God. But because of God's great love for me, God who is rich in mercy made me alive with Christ. And so I try to walk in this newness of life that he has caused me to walk in. And so what does this look like? He says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they try to make untrue claims, when they try to look at us and they try to say, you know what, you you guys are hate-filled bigots that, that, um, that really need to go away. I've read mul- multiple articles recently that have basically, uh, they are intolerant and it feels like it will only be a matter of time be- before things are outlawed in our country today that are free as of right now. It is only a matter of time before that takes place. But here's our responsibility when they speak against us as evildoers, that they would see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That they would see what's happening in our city, that they would see what's happening in our lives because of the church. Now, many times I've read this this passage and I'm like, Okay, it's just, you know, it's just me and Jesus in a way. I still think that way, even though I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm thinking that way, And that they would see my good deeds. Okay, so I try to go and do good deeds. I try to be a nice person. I, I try to be nice to people, and I'm trying to resonate. But you know what really speaks in our, in our city? Is when all of us together are on mission, that we're on God's mission that we've seen his vision, that we've seen his passion, that he is our delight, and that we're operating, operating together. And so what that means is that you're here. You're a part of this. You're hearing the vision. You're hearing the passion. You're saying, I want to be a part of the, these people. You are known, and you know other people. And we're walking together, and we're, we're saying to our city, you've got to know our God, but we're saying that Through our good deeds. Why? Because of the gospel. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that they would see our good deeds, and then ultimately, they would glorify God on the day of visitation. And what's that talking about? It's talking about the last day. They're going to see Jesus, and they're going to be happy because they've put their faith in him. They're going to glorify him on that day. That's what I believe that means. So let me ask you something. Are are you in the church just for you? Some of you you came to church, and you need help. I mean, all of us need help to some degree or another. But you came, and you're just like, I'm just at a loss. And you know what? We are so happy to be serving you. I don't know who you are or what you're doing. I probably know who you are, but um, we're so happy to be serving you. So, th- this isn't necessarily directed to you. This is directed at the folks that are just regular churchgoers. Are you here for you? Or is this about your needs and your desires and your wants? Is this about what you can get? Or have you caught the vision that God has for you? and for his church? And are you participating in that? Because I want to tell you, I think it's absolutely important. I think it is fundamental to being a disciple. In fact, I I believe I've proven that this morning. It is fundamental to what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that you would walk in obedience with him and his church. I have something that I've been thinking about that i I'm still praying about, and so i I want to say this with, with just to let you know that I'm in prayer in regards to this. We've been doing THX for ten years. In fact, I, I wrote a a, a a vision packet out a vision planning document, and one of those One of those bullet points says, well, the the question is, what is, in in three years from now, what is the city saying about your church? You know, You know, are you getting attention from the newspaper or whatever? And so about two years ago, I think it might have even been three years ago, I wrote this document out, and the document said, like, the newspaper, um, you know, wrote a story on us. And this is before this ever happened because of THX. And they're saying this and that and the other thing, and their pastor is so good looking. He's amazing and all this stuff. That actually wasn't in there. but, um, But it was saying, you know, I just wrote this out. Like, this is what I hope our city says about us and this is a couple years ago, and then lo and behold, this last, this last December, the Statesman Journal did an article on us, but nobody really reads the Statesman Journal anymore, and so that really wasn't that great, but, um, but the, the fact is, is that people are seeing your good deeds, and my hope is that they're going to glorify God on the day of visitation. The city, maybe a lot of people over 50, that's okay, like we're We're excited about it, but they're seeing your good deeds. They're seeing how you gave money and how you became a part of this. And so after THX, when, like, the thing ran like this this finely tuned machine, and so I began to think, like, God, what's a crazy vision for this thing? Like, because people saw outward churches' good deeds and they were glorifying God on the front page in the newspaper. And our hope is that that continues. And so what about our church, what is and then what could be? What could be amazing? What could knock their socks off? And so my question is this. What if, and I don't even know how this would happen, and I'm still praying about it, and the elders are still talking about it, and we don't even know about logistics, and so don't quote me on this or anything, but what if we said, like, what if we were able to say this coming year, like, there will be no elementary school kid in the Salem-Kaiser School District that goes without Thanksgiving dinner. Like, we did six schools this last year. What if there wasn't one kid that the Salem-Kaiser School District knows of that went hungry on Thanksgiving Day? I think it might be like $70,000. I think it might be way outside of what we could do. We don't even know if we could pull that off. But what if God's people got together and maybe we had to do this with other churches and maybe we would have to invite even more and more people into like this massive vision and not just for Thanksgiving but to say we want to put our, get our foot in the door not just with Richmond Elementary or these other six schools but we want to get our foot in the door in every school in this city. We're not content with just one. I was talking with Logan Graham over dinner the other night. Logan is a teacher. Third grade, right? Third grade. Teacher um, at a school here in town, and he was telling me. He said, "Matt, you would not believe what these kids are able to watch at home." Like he says, I have third graders that were able to watch the movie Saw. I have third graders that that were able to watch. I think he said it, this other movie. If you've seen the cover, it. I didn't sleep because I saw the cover. Right? It's like it's that bad, right? I like third graders. He's told me before, like, you don't even understand the advantage that your kids have just because you read to them. You read to your kids. You wouldn't believe the problems that these kids have in my school. You wouldn't believe what's going on in in that situation. Like, it is craziness. What if outward church committed itself? What if the church in Salem committed itself to saying this? Like, it's not just that those kids aren't going to go without food on Thanksgiving Day. It's not just that we're going to do one or two events here or there, but what if our church said, like, we are going to take on that problem? Not just hunger, but ongoing issues in the life. Like, we're going to start a soccer club there, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. What if God's people got together and said, no one person is going to bear the brunt of a vision that is that massive? What if no one person is going to bear that brunt? But what if all of us are going to walk in obedience to give to, to serve at, to be a part of, to lead what God is going to do in our city so that so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to see not just my good deeds, And not just your good deeds or your good deeds or your... But they're going to see your good deeds. And they're going to glorify God on the day of visitation because we're going to have a conversation with them about who Jesus is. We're going to be hanging out with those kids and we're going to be spending time with them. And we're going to be doing those things. Praise God for teachers like Logan, who is the light of Christ in a dark place. Guys... I believe that God has more for us. The splash that we made this last year was amazing. Who ca- I don't care about accolades. I don't care at all. What I care about is the name of God being glorified. I cannot wait for them to say, I cannot believe that this church of like 330 people pulled off an event like this. It's like, it's astounding that they were able to raise this much money. Can you imagine? Like, what's going on? This church is full of millennials and other people who hang out with them. And they're, they're (laughs) all right, all the old people in the room, all right, sorry. Uh, uh, Like, this church is full of millennials, and everybody has trash to talk about millennials, like, whatever, I won't even go into all those things. They talk trash about these millennials, but this church is full of millennials and these other people, and they are doing Like, amazing work. Like, so when it comes down to, okay, let's go sue Outward Church so that they can't do things with the, uh, you know, school district or they can't use this building. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that we have people in the school district saying, um, excuse me, excuse me, do you know who you're talking about? Do you know what Outward Church does at that school and 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 at at 40 of them? Do you know what they do? Do you know what happens if you sue them? If you keep them from doing that? Do you know what takes place? So that they will see our good deeds and glorify our God on the day of visitation. That's why obedience to his vision is important. Are you there? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we, we don't fully know what you're, you've called us to yet. Lord God, my prayer is that you would work out, that you would open doors for what you want to see happen. But God, we are, God, I'm praying that we're passionate. I'm praying that there's people in this room whose hearts are resonating with, with what you're going to do. And Lord, I pray that they would follow through with creating margin in their life so that they can catch the vision that you have for them so that they can walk in obedience to carry out good deeds within our city so that people will glorify you. Lord, would you, would you cause us to make steps? Would you cause those of us, for those of us that are in the room that have been moved by this, would you cause them to write it down and take time this week, tell their community group leader, tell someone that they know, walk in obedience and make changes.